Welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. This is a podcast where we bring successful tech sales professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs to share best practices, insights, and lessons learned with other tech sales professionals. As a sales professional, the more we learn, the more we earn. Once we earn it, how can we put those hard-earned commission dollars back to work to build additional income streams that will create the freedom we are all working to achieve? I'm your host, Chris Freeman. I'm a high-tech sales leader, real estate investor, and lifetime learner. Welcome, high-tech freedom listeners. Well, today we have a special guest, somebody that I've known for a long time, uh, Matt Centena. Uh, Matt's uh, had a very successful career as a sales rep, as a sales leader with companies like CA, DocuSign, and Oracle. Uh, So in this interview, you'll hear him talk about how things like how he scheduled out his plan six to nine months in advance and really taking control of the schedule. Uh, He shares an idea that uh, the the sales quarterback mentality is, is a legacy way of doing things. And we should be, especially in complex selling, we need to play more like a hockey team and all be skating in alignment with a purpose. Uh, He talks about how he's been investing in commercial office real estate as a way to build wealth and financial freedom. And he'll uh, he'll mention how he personally, out of pocket, has paid for his own sales and career coach and and why that matters. So I hope you enjoy this episode. And please leave a five-star review if you like the show. Matt, let's get it started. Uh, thanks for thanks for taking the time to meet up with me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, the pleasure's all mine. Wait, you and I have known each other for a long time, so I know a little bit about your background or a lot about your background. But for the sake of uh, you know this interview, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, your background in tech sales, where you've been, and where you're at now? Yeah, I'll tell you how uh, the road to where I'm at today was uh, was not a direct line, and it really wasn't wasn't probably till I have halfway through my career, super intentional. Out of college, actually in college, my senior year, I did an internship and it was just kind of dumb luck for AT&T. And that set me up to get a job with AT&T. So a long distance in Los Angeles, right after I graduated college. So I did that for about a year and a half, liked it. But ultimately, I wanted to get back to the Northwest and took a job at an organization I'd interviewed with out of college, Annexter. That's where you and I met, Chris. Yeah. Uh, one of the best jobs ever. And it was interesting because I went from college directly to a field role. And Annexter was an inside sales job. I didn't even know it at the time, but that inside sales gig gave me so much structure as well as knowledge. But what I really needed, some of the some of the tools I needed to build out the rest of my career. But was at Annexter, learned data networking, and that was my really first entrance into the networking. I was a foundational, space. like smiling and dialing, making the calls. And- Absolutely, we dialed yeah. for dollars, and we took on different roles of. Um, some folks were hunters, some were farmers, but the organization really taught us a lot about the technology at the same time. But yeah, started ground up there and um, you would drive by places and call me and I would start looking up the names of the companies and dialing for dollars, trying to get somebody on the phone. So ground up from there, we went from there to Lucent Technologies and was fortunate enough to land a gig on their fiber optic sales team calling on Celex. It was a great, great job, um, had history in the infrastructure space, specifically fiber optic cable. That's what I did in college was installed fiber. And I had enough of the sales background to get the job from what I learned 
at Annexter. And after that, we had uh, an opportunity to go into some of the startup worlds. And I spent a couple of years, different startups doing different things, but ultimately landed at CA Technologies, which wasn't a startup. It was a big, big mainframe software company. And it was my first entree from, from tech in the physical infrastructure space to software. And that was a huge transition. I was used to seeing, you know, you're selling a box with blinking lights. It was a tangible solution to something that, that wasn't tangible at all. Software as a disc or how you measure what you, what you're selling was more like um, selling stocks or bonds or what have you. But um, software was a totally different thing, a little bit of a ramp there. And ultimately I spent, I spent over a decade at CA Technologies and that was, that was a tremendous gig. Learned a ton there, did a lot of different things. But the last few years, I spent three years at VMware, ran the West, both enterprise and commercial sales. And most recently, I've spent about two and a half years and I'm currently at Oracle and I lead the human capital management solutions set for our majors and enterprise business across North America for nine of our core verticals. And you're a VP. You got the big title now. Well, yeah, this is actually this is actually a third line role. It's a group vice president. So I was a second line role at uh, at VMware, and this is my first third line role. So I've got um, about 120 people in the organization, and you know, managing managing VPs and managing managers is a different skill. So it's been been great to get to learn and an opportunity to do those new things. Well, so let's touch on that for a minute. What did you find as the uh, the most challenging thing that you had to learn going from that first line manager to the next uh, next level up? You know, I don't. I don't think there was a ton of challenge from the first line to the second line or candidly even second line to third line. The big challenge was going from rep to first line. I, I think that is the biggest challenge. We everybody talks about the industry as the toughest job. I don't think that's true. I do think it's the toughest transition. You know, typically you see people go from really successful sales reps to a leadership job. And it's natural. We look at people and say, Hey, Chris, you were awesome. You closed these massive deals. You obviously have a process and methodology. We're going to put you in a leadership role. And not just because you can you can do deals doesn't mean you can teach or coach other people to do deals. And I think that's the hardest thing is you see people, and I, I'm guilty of it myself, is you move into that first line role and it's a matter of like, hey, I, I know how to get things done. And the natural human motion, I think, is to have everything done your way. And it takes you a year or two or maybe three, if you're slow like me, to figure out that there's a lot of ways to get from the beginning to the end of a sales cycle. That's to be your path. There's other ways to learn it. And I think that's the gift of leadership, by the way, is is you finally figure out that that um, there's a lot of ways to get something done. And the more you can process those different paths, the more you can coach different kinds of people. And you you candidly get to learn yourself. Now, going from first to second, I mean, it's at that point, hopefully, and for me, it was the case, you've made a decision in your career, you want to get into leadership. And so you become a student of the game immediately. And, and after a year or so, you're automatically looking at, hey, if I was second line, what would I do different than my boss? Or what would I adapt that my boss does? Same thing, third line and so on. I can tell you, like, if I was to take the next step, what I would do differently or how I'd adapt to the next role. I didn't think about those things going from a rep to a manager. But um, the big transition, the hardest one was, you know, 14, 15 years ago, whatever it was, going from rep to manager. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Once you're in that first leadership role, you're thinking about it every day. And at that point, you know, higher up you go, um, you know, there's some similarities to the prior role. So let's go back to that transition from field rep to first line manager. There's a lot of people that are looking to make that jump and uh, nobody's perfect. Can you, uh, you know, any, any kind of mistakes you made along the way or something that uh, you can recall? I know it's a long time ago, but maybe a funny story that, uh, you know, in hindsight makes you kind of cringe when you think back about it. 
Well, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you, I think just kind of the, the, what I was talking about, the first thing I look back and cringe and it wasn't intentional. I was fortunate enough that I had a really great team and I moved from a first line or from a rep role to a first line leader role. And it was the team that I was actually on prior. That's really tough to do for folks because you were peers one day, the next day you're the boss. Um, I am super organized and I've always felt like being very prepared and organized was critical to success. And I was so I was so on top of people, I'm micromanaging what they did and how they did it. <laughs> that uh, you know, Chris laughs because we have a, another mutual friend who, who who would who would tease me and call me micro the micromanager for a little bit. And the funny thing is, it does make me cringe, but at the same time, I'll tell you, um, it was all well intended. It wasn't it wasn't to uh, to micromanage people. It was I wanted everybody to be successful, and that's the best part about leadership. But when you only know one way of getting something done, which is the only way you've done it for the first decade of your career as a sales rep, that's how you think everything gets done. So until you hit that that realization and maybe a coach or a mentor or some sort of pivot point that somebody gets something done in a way you never would have done it and it worked, you can go, holy cow, there's a, there's a lot of different paths to success. And then you start adopting some of those things. It actually makes you better. But Such a great, yeah. such a great point. And it's... Um... I just think that's probably the number one challenge that every uh, every rep has when they make that move uh, to the first line manager. And by the way, I mean, that is part of the reason why I'm doing this podcast is because I have my way of doing it. And I've learned a lot over the years. And I'm constantly amazed at how little I know when I start talking to somebody and I hear how they're approaching it or I see how they've done something and, you know, light bulbs start, start going off. And so that's that's kind of the beauty yeah. of this role is, you know, a, a, a tech salesperson, you know, anybody in our industry, we're paid or potentially paid really well, in some cases more than uh, doctors and lawyers. But yet, you know, not every rep puts the time to continue to learn and really master their craft. And so I, I think you, you just, you'd really hit on a really, I think an important point that I hope people uh, picked up on. I agree. I, I think you have to have the maturity to understand you don't have all the answers and look for resources and mentors and friends and coaches and colleagues to help you figure out other creative ways to get something done because there, there's, there's not one way it's an, it's not a prescription. It's, it's uh, takes a lot of creativity and brain power to figure things out often. It does. It does. Well, you left, uh, I picked up a gap there in your career history and uh, I hope you don't mind if we expand yeah, on that a little can. bit. So you left the tech uh, world uh, and did something completely out of tech, uh, did some entrepreneurial things and then came back around for, really for your second um, go at CA and, Tell us a little bit about that and what you learned about stepping away from the industry and then coming back. It, it actually may have been the best thing for my career. Never would have thought that at the time. At the time I stepped away, I was probably out of tech for about two and a half, maybe three years total. And that was probably 20 years ago, 22 years ago, I guess. I went to work for my wife's family's business and they have a small business with a couple hundred employees. It's an aluminum factory, aluminum foundry to make... Um, pressure tight castings. So I mean, you couldn't find something more industrial manufacturing far away from high tech, right? But um, at that point in my life, it, it sounded like the right thing for the family and everything else. What it gave me though, was I went and ran sales for the, for the company and, and I learned a ton because you're dealing with different people than highly skilled, highly educated individuals that are selling complex solutions, right? This is you're selling, you're selling castings, man. Some of them are complicated, like you're selling engines to Harley and things to... Um, Cummins and John Deere and those things, those are, those are competitive and hard sales cycles, but a lot of them you're also selling, you know, fence post covers, the easiest things in the world. Like not, not, not a lot of brain power goes into that. 
but it gave me exposure to in a small company, you're gonna see how's finance work, how's the supply chain work, who's ordering materials, what's it mean to take in an order and get out the door, and then the time committed to General Motors. You know, we see that as a salesperson, we talk about it anecdotally, but getting to live it a little bit and then run operations for a while, holy cow, like I created such empathy for our customers and what it takes to go for Intel, you know, build chips. There's there's thousands of different roles and people in the organization because that's what it takes. Someone's got to run HR and someone's got to go run the supply chain. Someone's got to run manufacturing and someone's got to run distribution. It takes a village. And the bigger the company is, the harder, more complex those problems are. I could talk about it before that. And I think conceptually got it, but living it would give me a different perspective. Ultimately, didn't love being where the family was in the middle of uh, Iowa or in, the, in Chicago. So I uh, wanted to get back to the Northwest and have a couple of buddies that um, would have wanted to come back and do something else. So, um, allowed me to move back to Portland and we started buying some commercial properties. So uh, at that point, it was actually real estate. It was, um, we did some development work and then also some um, some management, some management of commercial properties as well. Ultimately, didn't like the, the, the property management piece of it whatsoever. Thank God it was all uh, commercial work. So it was just, you know, weekdays, it wasn't too much weekend sort of stuff, but really liked the development piece of it. And that turned into be just a blessing because it's, it's a big piece of we're all focus, you know, my efforts and we'll say wealth generation, but really my focus towards cash flow and such for the rest of my life. So you're still, uh, you're still in the real estate game or still, are you actively investing in real estate or passively investing? Uh, actively. Yeah. So I have a, a couple of good buddies that are full-time real estate, either developers or professionals. And we are trying to do, we, we do typically, a commercial either development or some sort of project investment annually. So they'll, they'll do more since their job, but I get into a project or so at least once a year. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Well, and by the way, for any anybody that's listening, uh, if you go to uh, our website, hightechfreedom.com, you can download a free ebook on uh, investing in real estate. It has a lot of great uh, tips and insights into how to do it, what to do, a lot of terms that you may or may not be familiar with. Uh, so that's hightechfreedom.com. So Matt, what, um, so you're investing, you're investing, trying to build up some future cash flow. I mean, what do you want to, I mean, tech sales is great. We make a lot of money, but, uh, I'm sure you're not in it forever. Uh, what do you want to do afterwards? Uh, I will do, I will do development. I'll do a development project or two a year. Uh, one, I think the space is fascinating. I think the, re- the reward for doing those projects is similar to any of the big deals and such that we get to work on. And it's, it hits home a little more than just, uh, doing a big deal for a big company that you happen to work for. Yeah. So I, I really do enjoy the commercial development side of it. There's a, there's a lot of pieces of real estate you can go into multifamily, like you've been wildly successful with. Um, I'm just not as comfortable with it because I haven't gotten into it You know, many, many years ago. And I got some of the smaller commercial projects. So it's a comfort space for me. So I like the commercial space and um, I like some of the redevelopments. So we'll take some of those projects because you can take anything from a piece of land and decide what's the value of it if I... Just get it permitted. What's the value if I put a building on it? What's the build value of it if I put a building on it? I own it. And I occupy it with tenants for a period of time. Or at any point in that cycle, do you want to bail out? You want to, you want to make an exit. Obviously, the further through that process, the typically the higher the return, but also the higher the the risk. So, um, but the development from cradle to grave is the most exciting and I think the most fun. Yeah, you like watching it. But sorry, you like watching it go from ground to something. You know, kind of watching yeah. that develop over time. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you have something that's been successful over the years, 
um, that feels pretty good. Hello, sales pros. I hope you are enjoying the High Tech Freedom podcast. If you are interested in learning more about passively investing in multifamily real estate, you can download our educational ebook at hightechfreedom.com. While there, you can also sign up for our newsletter where we will provide insights on real estate investing as well as sales tips so that you can continue to crush it in your high tech sales role. Now, I often hear people say, eh, I'll get to that later or uh, I'll read that book later. Well, there's no time like the present to improve your knowledge. So I hope you take advantage of at least the newsletter. In the meantime, please reach out if I can help out in any way. Now let's get back to the show. Well, let's go back to the tech sales piece for a minute. Um, so you've, you, know, you were a rep yourself, now, uh, now uh, an executive leader, and uh, you've managed all different kinds of teams. And so you've had an opportunity over uh, a number of years to see all different kinds of salespeople. And it's easy to talk about all the great things that we should be doing, but sometimes we learn from some of the uh, mistakes that we see uh, reps do, or, or maybe mistakes we've done ourselves. Um, yeah. You know, if you just kind of think back, I don't know, over the last few years, what are, what are a few of the, the big kind of missteps or mistakes that you see people in the field that they've done or maybe that they're still doing? Yeah, I would tell you, I think that, can I spin that question a little bit? Does it talk about Any what you want. Yeah. yeah, I think I think I would look at what, what reps are doing that make them most successful. Because I think that there's fewer of those qualities than it is to just point out the things that people don't do. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I, th- I, think the rep, I think the things that reps do that make them wildly successful, the, the reps that are consistently successful, because anybody has a flash in the pan can go win a big deal and then the next three years do nothing. The consistently successful sales executives are always building pipeline. And they they know their customers better than anything else. You know, the whole sense of art of war, you know, know your customers better than they know themselves. And they really have great command of their of their time. I was gonna say their operational cadence. But that's that's the biggest one, and it's been a big thing for me. I spelled also as you scale and grow in your career, that operational management. So, you know, I would tell you, you know, I plan my calendar, some of the core things in the business, QBRs, QMMs, um, all hands calls. I plan those six to twelve months in advance. Pre-COVID, I would plan travel a year at a time because it was pretty easy to say when you've got call it you know Chicago West. There's five major regions. I would do three weeks on, we'll make golf. Three weeks on, we'll make golf. And I would say, we'll make in the Northwest, we'll make in NorCal, we'll make in SoCal, we'll make it home. We'll make it in Chicago, we'll make in Tola, we'll make it home. And you can plan the entire year. It gives it gives everybody an opportunity to really figure out when you're going to be somewhere to engage with customers. But reps do the exact same thing when it comes to how are they prioritizing their time with clients? Are they managing their calendar to figure out, are they always dedicating time every week to prospecting? Are they always doing something to build pipeline? Because I would tell you there's the most successful reps I've seen will dedicate time on a weekly basis to pipeline development and managing all of the things that need to be done, continuous education, learning, internal networking, running a matrix sales team, whatever it is, right? With your peer group. But they block their calendar and they make sure that they live by the calendar. Because if, if you don't manage your calendar, I promise you your calendar is going to manage you. Even more now yeah. nowadays with all the Zoom calls. I mean, you have to get ahead of Absolutely. that. Absolutely. So I think I think that's probably operational management, how you manage your time, 
how you dedicate your time is the most important thing a rep, a successful rep or manager can do. You know, I have this chart that shows kind of a seesaw. Anybody in sales listening to the call would know this is true. What happens most common is reps go build pipeline. They then focus on the deal. They close the deal. They stick their head back up and they're like, oh my gosh, where's my pipeline? They go build pipeline. They find the deal. They close the deal. The reps that are really good are always closing and always building pipelines because they manage their time most effectively to understand what's important to be successful in the business. Wow. I mean, such true words. Uh, I mean, I know there's a lot of people that have fallen into that trap, the Q4 trap, right? You get towards the end of the year, maybe you have a little bit of an eye on some accelerators and all you're focused on is <laughs> closing business. And then you roll into Q1 and you time to put up that forecast and you have that kind of, oh, crap moment, you know? I need to step back on that pipeline building pedal and, and start building some pipeline. And that's right. Um, that can really impact your whole whole year. So uh, it's, it's a great point. So I actually met following up on that. Um, how important is consistency with the scheduling of those things, like doing the pipeline building at the same time versus kind of periodically spreading it out over your calendar? I think it's critical. I think you think it builds hab- habit and repetition for all of us. You know, you know what to expect. And I think there's some things you should have on your calendar that are non-negotiable. You know, your time you're dedicating to your virtual account team meetings. So when you meet with your specialists or you meet with your SE team or whatever it is, like that shouldn't move. And that's because that's kind of just respect for your peer group. Everybody has a calendar. So when you calendar something, you should show up, you should be prepared and, and don't cancel last minute. Show up, have a plan, run a good meeting. And, and I would say on that point of you know running those meetings with specialists or peers or whatever it is that you need to have reoccurring in whatever business you're in, it's important to have those meetings. Often reps will say like, ah, I work with Chris all the time. We talk three times a day. And I would tell you that there's such a difference between I work with Chris, I saw him in a break room and we had a peanut butter sandwich together and a cup of coffee. That's so different than us sitting down and saying, hey, we're having a virtual account team. Let's talk about our five accounts. What are we going to penetrate those accounts? Here's my list. Here's your list. I'm going to hold you accountable. You're going to hold me accountable. And then you can break and go do your thing. It's very different. So those meetings, I think, are critical that you have. It's just respect for your peers. It's a level of professionalism to have them and to not move them around. I think the pipeline things, if you do them Tuesdays, Thursdays, Wednesdays, Fridays, I don't care about when they are. But the fact that they're scheduled and they happen consistently is important. Pipeline, cold calling sucks. No, I haven't found a human yet that likes cold calling. It's the first thing people want to give up when they get busy. And when they do it, do that, it's the trap they will fall into immediately of not having pipeline for the next few quarters because they gave it up for something silly. Just mm-hmm. um, you got it. You, if you give it up, you won't go back to it. So calendar it and hold yourself accountable to do that. Any, any really I would tell you successful sales executive is going to stick to that calendar. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it's interesting that uh, you, you touched on something. So this morning, I was uh, actually moderating a uh, a panel for our uh, our sales force. We had a customer on and a and a an account team talking about a deal, and the customer mentioned um, this goes back to knowing your customer, how well the account team has done over the uh, the years, knowing the customer, knowing the individuals, and you know coming to them at the right time with the right stuff, and just generally taking care of them. But he made a comment that you know the number of calls and emails and LinkedIn requests that hit him on a daily basis is just, it's mind blowing. And so, um, you know, this goes back to the prospecting thing. There's prospecting and then there's smart prospecting. And I, I asked him the question, I said, Hey, well, when do you respond to one of those inbound requests? 
because probably the one that would get my attention the most is the personal referral. You know, nowadays it's so, uh, I can't keep up with all the requests, but if, if I get a request and it's somebody I know from another company and they reference that person and so-and-so said that, you know, it might be good for the two of us to talk, I may not get to it every time, but that, that definitely, definitely gets my attention. Just a little nugget on prospecting that might be useful. Great, great call. I'll tell you, there's, there's some folks I've worked with that have been much more creative and successful than I ever was because they do really creative things. And I'll tell you, you know, technology and sales today is just different than it was 25 years ago when you and I were cold calling. There's so much more information about our customers online. You know, do you follow your customer on Twitter? Do you follow up on Instagram? Do you follow up on Facebook or can you, whatever it is. I've had some folks find out their customers just through social media are really into coffee and they'll send them something that's really unique and special to them to get their attention. If they don't have that personal connection, like you're talking about that referral, but you got to find some creative. If you think you're going to call somebody and they're going to call you back because you were, you know, really savvy with your message, I would argue that's probably not going to happen because to your point, every CFO, CIO that I talk to anymore, CHRO is going to say like, I typically go once a week and just empty my mailbox without listening to anything. Yeah. And think about it. Look, don't worry if you're not sure if it's the right creative thing to do. You know, maybe you're sending them um, something from their alma mater, or maybe, you know, you're, you're trying to come up with some creative idea and you're not sure if it's going to work. It doesn't matter. Just do something. And right. um, you never know what's going to stick. And if you fa- find something that sticks, man, then keep rinse and repeat. Just keep doing that. That's right. I'm with you. I agree. You know, you talked about uh, how selling's different nowadays. You, you mentioned, um, you didn't say it, but you know, some of the matrix selling that needs to happen with some of the bigger organizations that uh, that reps are in today. Like, for example, where you're at, you know, sitting down with other team members to kind of map out the customers, the prospects, the targets. You know, because so many companies now have lines of specialty sales reps uh, within their within their organization, especially in software. Yeah, um, and. You know, I think that's another skill set. I guess I'd be curious to, to hear a little bit more from you on this. You're you know, selling. I mean, in some cases, it could you could be a one man or woman show and you're just out doing your thing. But more and more, it takes a team to really successfully crack into accounts because the vendors are getting bigger. You know, there's you know some really big software companies out there. Customers are getting harder to get to. So it's there's a little bit more of a matrix selling that goes into some of these accounts. Uh, I'm just curious to hear your experience uh, along that team selling theme. You know, it's interesting. I think that for years, I would suspect, we haven't talked about this, but I would suspect if the organizations you've been as well, we always talked about the core seller and then the specialist sellers being kind of like the quarterback and the other specialty players on the team, right? Mm-hmm. That was a dialogue for a long time. I, I've, I've become to, to believe that is a, a flawed thought on the approach. I think the game is more hockey now than it ever was football and quarterbacks. I think a really successful sales team with that core or that, that lead individual, you know, they should own the strategy. They should own the, the, the account plan and what we're going to do to execute and do something strategic within the account. But when you have as many people, three, four, five specialists or greater calling into an account or just peers, three or four or five peers of your Oracle calling into account, if you're all on the same page, you should be able to divide and conquer. And you need a level of maturity to understand like, hey, we're all agreeing on the strategy. Chris has a deal selling XYZ. I want to let Chris run that thing cradle to grave. As the core rep, you don't need to own that piece of it. Like let them do their own thing. They're professional sales executives as well, as long as everybody's executing against the strategy. That I think is the right motion. It gives you more scale in the business. Everybody a role and responsibility. You don't need to minimize the specialists by asking them to play a submissive or subservient role to that leads, that lead seller. 
I think divide and conquer or, um, you know, hockey is a better analogy anymore. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that years, years and years ago, that was the case of, of how you run it was someone leading and the specialist kind of doing their little piece at the lower levels. I don't think that scales. I don't think that drives uh, revenue as fast as any of our companies, larger companies expect. And it uh, doesn't really allow you as an organization to put your best foot forward. I think the other piece of that I'd add on to is, you know, in a really well-run sales campaign or account management or um, account relationship, you need to be as broad as possible. You need a lot of relationships you know, CFO, CHRO, CIO, CTO, you know, all of those. There's not one person as an account lead that can own all those relationships successfully. You should figure out how to do what I would think of as an executive laddering strategy. Mm-hmm. The same thing for every one of those organizations. You know, we're the specialists. You, know, you should plan out like, who owns this relationship and who owns the other relationship. And then they have a charter and use your executives to figure out what relationships they need though. I think that is a more successful approach. So I imagine now as either your first line managers or maybe you're you're interviewing one of their candidates, I imagine now you you must look at reps. The skill set that you just talked about is different than maybe the skill set in the past. So I imagine it changes how you hire. For sure. Yeah, interesting. Uh, well, those, those are some great nuggets. Man, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I think it does change how you hire. It does change how you vet people. But I don't. I don't look at folks anymore like you used to and say, "Oh, he'd be great as a specialist." But not as a core rep. I don't. I don't think that's the case. I don't think you can afford that in an organization. I mean, you need you need a team of people all capable of carrying a deal cradle to grave. So if you're not basically, so in a nutshell, if you're if that person's not a team player, the odds of them kicking butt are minimal. Right. Or chance of being on my team are zero. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, hey, so um, so Matt, let me ask you. Um, you touched on this earlier. What um, what do you do to invest in yourself? How do you continue to hone your craft and get better at what you do? Uh, well, that's, that's two different questions. So how do I invest in myself? Uh, not enough. I would tell you, I would start there. I would tell you, I, I read a bit. The biggest thing as I, I do is, is I do spend time with a professional coach. And I do that every six weeks. Two, two things out of the professional coach. You know, the coach is, is, is half therapist as well. You know, I spend enough time with this guy for the last... 10 years, he knows where I've been and what I want to do and strengths and weaknesses and all your personality assessments and all that wonderful sort of stuff. But also that, that same coach obviously works with many other professional sales um, executives. And so he's actually pulled together every two months, kind of a panel. We do like a working group where he gives us a talk on a topic and we all kind of talk through this, which is super cool because you're working with other people and other large organizations that sometimes they're running operations, sometimes they're CROs, whatever it would be. And you get to spitball different ideas in a, in a safe environment to learn from others. I think that has been, that's been tremendous. I do read, honestly, it's kind of sporadic. Sometimes I read a whole bunch of books because I get the wild hair, um, but it's kind of on and off. And, um, and beyond that, I invest in myself sometimes anymore just by taking time off and totally unplugging. I think some of the best thinking I do is not when I'm reading a book and isn't when I'm getting coached or isn't when I'm coaching other people. It's when I'm able to totally unplug and, th- and think about it. So, you know, this, I'm an avid fly fisherman, so I do fish and, um, can I've learned to take vacations the last five or six years that cell phones don't work. Mm-hmm. So I'll take vacations where I'm just truly you know, disconnected and an opportunity to reflect on what's working and what's not. So between that and just a really great network of people I collaborate with over the years, I've been able to really build a, a wonderful network of people that I admire and trust that I talk to often, those, those things really help. You taught me to fly fish. I remember uh, 
that weekend, Fall River, Crane Prairie. Yeah, good got times. some big got some big fish that weekend. That's um, right. Hey, on the coach, uh, do you pay for that yourself? I do. I do. I met this guy um, many I mean, as a CA, so over ten years ago, and um, so I went for a period of time where the organization I was with wasn't going to pay for it, and so I, I put it on hold. But after probably a year, I went back to gym just pay for it out of my pocket. It's it's worth it for a multitude of reasons. It's it's important to me. It's it'll a big pay investment for, into myself. It'll pay for itself ten times over. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Cool. Find the right coach. It's it is like a therapist. I say from the standpoint of you got to find somebody you jive with. You got to find someone you trust that understands and has the same principles and the same network and connections that you're gonna you're gonna pull from. There's a lot of folks that you may not jive with, but if you find the right professional coach, it's it's worth its weight in gold. Well, man, as we wrap up, I know you've had some great years, great quarters, and have taken some pretty, uh, I'm sure, some pretty fabulous uh, Achiever Club type trips. Uh, what have been some of the most memorable trips? Uh, I think I think CA Technologies did the best club trips on the planet. Uh, they did a club trip to one year I didn't make. And it just drove me crazy, which was they did a trip to Africa for 10 days. Oh, wow. That was pretty amazing. But the last trip I did with CA was the, they called the Romantic Roads of Europe. So they, you, you pick a, a buddy to partner with. So you and Nancy, myself, my partner, right? We'd fly into Prague in this case. And someone takes your bags and they hand you the keys to a Porsche. And <sighs> you, you go from one city to the next. You drive about an hour, hour and a half every day. And every night you get to the hotel, you know, they greet you with champagne. Your bags are already in your room all set up. And you'd have some extravagant dinner or some sort of blowout party. And the next morning you get back up and pack your bags, leave them in your room, go back downstairs, the valley have your car ready for you. And you drive through, you know, a couple other towns and have some sites all set up for you to go check out, end up at the next city to check things out. And so you go to Copenhagen and Prague and like, it was, it was like six to seven different cities. That's it, stuff. It, was, it was crazy. And then um, the last trip I did with VMware, we went to Abu Dhabi and Dubai. Wow. That was cool. That was a really great trip too. And when you're that far across the planet, you always extend, you know? Yeah. So you go check out, you know, something when you're that far across the planet. We went to we went to Italy for a week on top of that. But yeah, the club trips can be tremendous. Well, I was having a, a debate with somebody not too long ago and uh, they didn't quite qualify for a club trip and they were rationalizing it in their heads, like, yeah, you know, it doesn't really mean that much to me. I'm, you know, I'm gonna <laughs> at that point I'm making I'm making a bunch of money. I'm like, no, if you've ever been on one. It doesn't matter how much you make. It's it's one, it's forcing yourself to unplug and have a great time. Two, I've never met somebody that's gone to a club trip and came back and said, I didn't have a good time. It, actually, that's not true. There was one guy, he got wasted in front of the CEO and that didn't work out so well for him. But outside of that, I mean, it's an incredible experience. I mean, it's always high end, top notch. And by the way, with the executives, right? I was, I was like, I apologize for cutting you off, but I'd say, we, you know, organizations put a lot of money and time and effort into planning those. And for high achievers, it's a retention, it's a retention program, right? They want the programs to be so good that their top sellers want to go back to club the next year. It makes a ton of sense. The executives are there for a reason. So you can, you can build those relationships. So it's a work slash fun event, um, but they usually are over the top. And if you do them right, you know, they keep you a long time and it, it leads to other amazing things primarily you getting to engage all those executives in your business and be successful yet year over year over year. Well, Matt, uh, Hey man, I really appreciate you coming on. It's great to catch up and just on a personal level to see you again and talk to you again. It's been too long. Um, likewise, likewise. Is there anything else you want to share or any other 
words of wisdom you'd like to pass along? Um, I, you know, I would tell you if, uh, if you like to compete and, uh, you like to make money, I think sales is the best profession in the world. I think it's challenging. I think it is going to challenge you every day, but it's going to be as big or as small as you want it to be. Meaning you can build your career to executive levels or you can stay a sales professional. Both are awesome, but, um, you know, they pay you like a surgeon for a reason because organizations expect a lot out of you. So that's the trade-off. So if you don't want to work hard, I would tell you probably an, uh, a profession to stay away from. But I think it's the best profession in the world. I think I'm lucky to do it. I've been very fortunate in my career to meet some amazing people like you, make some great friendships. And um, it's, it's, a, it's a great thing to do. And if you want to take that money and real, invest into real estate, retire at a reasonable age and have some passive income, I can't think of another career for a speech comm major from Oregon State to go make some money, build some passive income and have a good time doing it. So yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for my career. Yeah. Well, you know, and that's the thing is uh, we're all in this game, not because we just want to work until we die. We're trying to create some freedom. And uh, if you go out, you put in the effort, you put in the time, you learn, you get good at your craft, you can make a lot of money. Um, The thing that I always had worried about kind of going through my career was making sure that I was smart with that money that I made. And I know that you've had some big paychecks over the years and I've had friends or peers that, you know, they, they made some big checks and, you know, the house kept getting bigger. They, the cars kept getting more expensive. And uh, guess what? You know, they're still working That's uh, right. because, because they have to. Their 401k is not going to um, continue to pay them their 500 grand a year or whatever it is that they need to retire. And so they have to work. Um, so I'm really passionate about let's kick ass. But at the same time, how do you set yourself up to have that freedom that we're all looking for? Indeed. Thanks for your time. Uh, Really great conversation and I look forward to catching up again. Me too. Thanks for having me, Chris. Thanks again for joining us today. To get more sales and real estate tips, you can subscribe to our newsletter at hightechfreedom.com. You can also join our private Facebook and LinkedIn group that is exclusively for sales professionals. If you found a nugget of good information in the podcast, Please subscribe, give us a positive rating, and write a review. If there is a topic that you would like us to cover in the future, please send us a note through our website at hightechfreedom.com. Until next week, make this your best week ever.